Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Take Your Pills, Psychopath, the comedy podcast that exploits mental illness for personal profit. What? Trademark. I'm your host, John F. O'Donnell, J-Fod. Um, yeah, we got a solo show this week. I'm excited about that. I'm going to be going through some very interesting Psychology Today articles and commenting on that. Uh, so I hope that you enjoy that and get something out of it because I think we can all continually learn more about mental health. Uh, there's constantly, constantly new things coming out, and I think it's worthwhile to try to stay on top of it. Um, some housekeeping stuff up front. I have a Patreon, which would be great if you guys could support um, that. It's patreon.com slash JFOD. I'm revamping it. Um, but yeah, you can go to it now. There's different tiers. And if you can afford to support me there, please do, uh, because that is how I am trying to get by, man. Um, yeah, uh, besides that, join my newsletter, j5news.com, so you can find out about every episode uh, when it comes out. And I got a free stand-up comedy special on YouTube on the 800 Pound Gorilla Records YouTube channel. All you have to do is type my name, John F. O'Donnell, into YouTube, and it's the first thing that comes up. So definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, that's all of the plugs right there. So let's get into it. Some different articles and stuff. Um, actually, you know what? I want to talk a little bit first. These solo episodes are new for me uh, when I'm not doing an interview. So uh, bear with me a little bit. Um, I've done solo episodes when I'm talking about different news stuff. But uh, to talk about mental health stuff in a solo capacity is uh, something I'm working on. Um, I guess I should check in with myself. I'm doing all right. I, uh, I recently moved back to New York City. I was commuting from Jersey and just being here on the weekend, staying with different friends, which I'm grateful for, and uh, doing a lot of shows, doing a show every week at Cobra Club. That's the uh, Friday weekly show that you can come out to It's uh, if you're in the New York City area. It's every Friday at nine at the Cobra Club in Bushwick. You can look that up. It's called Live from Outer Space. Kind of been building my new hour of stand-up comedy there. Um, or I have been, but now I'm back in the city, which, uh, I know the city's very frenetic and stressful, but for me, it really helps me with the rhythm of my life. It motivates me. Um, it keeps me engaged. I feel more creative. So yeah, as challenging as this city is, some people I suppose have more potential to try to thrive here. And that's how I feel. So I've been staying on top of my shit, uh, taking my meds, taking my meds, uh, monitoring my sleep, making sure I'm getting enough sleep every night, uh, doing yoga back at yoga, y'all. So I'm doing that, which has been good. So right now I feel all right. I feel motivated. I feel on top of my mental health. Can I be consistent with it? I certainly hope so. Um, because the last time that I had to be hospitalized was, uh, it's a relatively brief episode, but still an episode, a hospitalization. Uh, it was November of 2020. So, you know, let's be honest, that was less than two years ago. So I hope that um, I can stay well for an extended period of time. And for those of you guys watching this video, I know like the lighting is like popping in and out, but I don't know what to do about it, man. This is the room that I have. Uh, it's honestly a little bit hot in here, but I can't turn on the fan because that messes up the sound and, uh, with the lighting, this is like popping in and out. Maybe it has to do with the 
Maybe it has to do with their window there, but uh, hopefully it's not too annoying and I can find some clips to clip out because that's what we got to do now. We got to clip out everything and put them on the socials. We are all slaves to the algorithm. And Lord knows I do not pay enough attention. I do not pay enough attention, enough attention and give enough admiration to my algorithm overlord who uh, determines my reach and my amplification. Oh my God, we are living in the seventh ring of hell, everybody. We are. It's ridiculous. But you know, your boy's doing all right. Your boy's doing all right. Um, yeah. So let's learn some stuff, guys. Let's learn some stuff. Um, okay, so this first piece is by someone named Austin Perlmutter. He's an MD. Uh, and it's called How Glial, G-L-I-A-L, Glial, Glial, whatever, How Glial Cells Influence Your Mood. Three little-known brain cells may play a big role in your mental health. Interesting, because I have a mood disorder, bipolar one, as the world knows. Um, so I'm interested in how this brain, how this brain is all messed up and what's going on with the glial cells. So let's check it out. There's some key points here. Microglia, it's a type of uh, glial cell, I suppose. Um my microglia regulate brain immunity and may help explain the link between inflammation and depression. All right. Astrocytes, C-Y-T-E-S, moderate signaling between neurons. All right. Including mood related neurotransmitters. All right. Seems important. Seems worthwhile. Next one. Oligodendrocytes. All right create insulating covering over neurons, but may also influence multiple aspects of neuron function related to mood. Ooh, interesting. All right, so here we go. Despite all our scientific advances over the last century, mood disorders like depression and anxiety and bipolar disorder uh, remain incredibly common and difficult to treat effectively. I hear that, sister. Recent efforts to better understand the biology of these conditions have focused on the brain and the different types of brain cells involved. Currently, neurons get the lion's share of the spotlight as it relates to both the biology of mental health conditions and their treatment. Yet growing evidence for the role of non-neuron brain cells in mood disorders is fueling novel opportunities for management and prevention. Fascinating. Glial cells. Beyond bystanders in brain health, our brains are made up of billions of individual cells. The most well-known brain cell is the neuron. And when considering brain conditions like dementia, stroke, or mood disorders, the neuron is front and center. There are over 80 billion, billion neurons, neurons in the adult human brain. But there are an equal number of non-neuron cells called glial cells playing key roles in every aspect of our brain health. All right, worth knowing about. Glial cells, named for the Greek word glue, were first thought to represent connective tissue in the brain, basically just a support system for neurons. Interesting. Let me go to... Let me share the screen. Oh, I forgot that I'm doing a live stream here. Um, yeah, sorry, guys. 
Give me one moment here. Sharing this. Cool. There we go. All right. Now we're good. All right. Glial cells. Named for the Greek word glue were first thought to represent connective tissue in the brain, basically just a support system for neurons. Over the decades, it's become clear that these cells perform a wide variety of key jobs in our brains, ranging from facilitating neuron-to-neuron communication to affecting memory to immune regulation. Wow. With all these known functions, it's no surprise that issues with glial cells are now thought to influence everything from dementia to post-stroke recovery, as well as being involved in various mood disorders. One of the earliest connections between glial cells and mood comes from postmortem, meaning after death, analyses of the brains of people with mood disorders. In a series of small studies, changes in the glial cell density and number were reported in brain areas like the anterior cingulate cortex, the prefrontal front, frontal cortex, and the amygdala, all regions implicated in mood regulation. Since then, imaging, laboratory, and cell studies have revealed a complex and fascinating role of glial cells in mood disorders. This is fascinating. Microglia, immune orchestrators of your brain. An incredible boundary called the blood-brain barrier, BBB, separates our brains from the rest of our bodies, keeping out most microbes and immune cells. But the existence of the BBB doesn't mean the brain doesn't participate in immunity. In fact, the brain has its own dedicated immune cells that patrol the brain for microbes, uh, damage, or other problems. These cells are called microglial cells, and they are understood to be vital to our brain health and increasingly to our mood. As regulators of the brain's immune state, microglia are key to keeping brain inflammation in balance. Research has demonstrated a clear link between inflammation and depression with higher levels of brain inflammation thought to contribute to depression. Elevated inflammation in the brain has also been linked to PTSD and schizophrenia. Like most of our body's symptoms, microglial cells can be led to behave in ways that are good or bad for our health. So how could microglial cells get stuck promoting too much inflammation? Interesting. One of the most important tasks of microglial cells is surveillance. It's thought that a vast network of microglial cells create a web-like network of hubs that constantly analyzes the brain for any evidence of immune threat. When these cells detect a problem, they switch into an activated form and start producing a variety of immune chemicals to help resolve the issue. While that's Chronic activation may contribute to unchecked inflammation in the brain and therefore depression. It's thought that microglial cells could become activated and contribute to depressive symptoms when the BBB breaks down and allows immune signals from the bloodstream to enter the brain. This could happen in cases of physical trauma, infection, or stroke, but it's also possible that microglial cells could become activated due to signals from an unhealthy gut or from an excess of stress hormones. Finally, it's worthy noting that microglial cells also participate in the regulation of two other processes involved in depression, the wiring of and growth of new neurons, meaning neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. Activated inflammatory microglial cells are thought to have a negative impact on both of these processes, which could contribute to depression. Amazing. 
learning about the brain, y'all. Microglial cells. I didn't know anything about this. Did you guys? Very interesting stuff. Um, wow, it's so wild how complicated the brain is. And let's be honest, how little uh, we know about it. Even with this, you're hearing about it and it's fascinating. But you're hearing a lot of maybes, possibly's, can. You know what I mean? Um, still worthwhile. Still worth knowing. Um, yeah, let's make the uh, article full screen. There you go. Make it easier for people to read. Let's keep going. Astrocytes. A-S-T-R-O-C-Y-T-E-S. Another type of neuron. Or another type of brain cell, rather. Key overseers of neuron health. All right, all right. So the astrocytes oversee the neuron health. Cool. Astrocytes have traditionally been considered neuron support cells, but they do a whole lot more than simple support. They get their name from their shape. They resemble stars. It's thought that a single astrocyte may interact with millions of synapses. As Whoa, that's crazy. Astrocytes regulate neurotransmitters and connections between neurons, and they also make up a physical component of the blood-brain barrier. Our understanding of the role of astrocytes in brain health was greatly expanded since their discovery around 1900. Wow, they found them out in 1900. In fact, a three-directional communication between neurons where astrocytes oversee signals from both sides of the synapse has been proposed, indicating that astrocytes play a vital role in regulating neuron health. It's thought that astrocytes may play a key role in the creation of new synapses as well as regulation of neuroplasticity. How do astrocytes broker the connections between neurons? One way is by picking up and releasing molecules like GABA, uh, which is gamma uh, amino butric acid. I should know that. Um, and glutamate. So, okay. One way is by picking up and releasing molecules like GABA and glutamate, neurotransmitters that play an essential role in brain signaling and mood. Some research also suggests that astrocytes can detect and absorb neurotransmitters like serotonin and norepinephrine, which are considered among the most important molecules involved in conditions like anxiety and depression. Well, wow, these astrocytes are important, man. While research is still emerging, there you go, several studies have uncovered, have uncovered evidence for decreased astrocyte numbers and impaired function in people with depression. The reasons for these findings are under active study. However, the result of this may be that without functional astrocytes to help regulate communications between them, neurons are exposed to toxic levels of excitatory molecules like glutamate and insufficient levels of electrolytes like potassium that could damage neuron health. All right. Interesting. That's the, uh, that's the, uh, astrocytes. So now the third one that they want to talk about is the oligodendrocytes, O-L-I-G-O-D-E-N-D-R-O-C-Y-T-E-S more than just cover for neurons. All right. Oligodendrocytes are the third group of glial cells found in the brain. Their best established role in brain health relates to their production of myelin, the white covering that coats some neuron bodies and allows for quick signal transmission across the brain and spinal cord. Neurons with myelin are called white matter, uh, while un 
myelinated neurons are called gray matter. Okay. Further research on oligodendrocytes shows that they also influence brain energy, learning, and memory. A number of connections between oligodendrocyte health and depression have been made through imaging studies. For example, subjecting mice to social ins insulation, which has been associated with depression in humans, was linked to changes in oligodendrocyte structure and function. These changes correlated with impairments in, in <clears throat> correlated with impairments in with neuron myelination in the prefrontal cortex, a key region of the brain implicated in depression. Like other glial cells, oligodendrocytes have receptors for neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine, stress hormones, and immune signals. This means they're sensitive to environmental influences, and as oligodendrocytes are capable of producing pro- or anti-inflammatory signals, it's highly likely that these cells are actively participating in the moment-to-moment -moment health of neuron and our mental health beyond co contributing to myelination. Wow. Also seems pretty freaking important. So that's oligodendrocytes or oligodendrocytes. Why are the words always so complicated? Um, yeah, so just to wrap up this article, what comes next? Mental health remains one of the biggest challenges faced by the world today. Conventional therapies, even when available, fail to benefit up to one third of treated patients. That's wild. Yet the growing understanding of depression Neurobiology opens the door to a more nuanced use of existing treatments, leveraging targeted lifestyle interventions and knowledge of potential preventative strategies. Though neurons remain at the forefront of depression conversations, existing and ongoing research of glial cells is likely to expand the vanguard of how we discuss and approach a wide range of mental illnesses. Yeah, glial cells, y'all. Huh? Everybody's talking about neurons. Neurons is kind of like, you know, if you're in New York, you'd understand this in Brooklyn. Neurons are kind of like Bushwick. You know, it's been gentrified a lot. Uh, you know, glial cells are kind of like Ridgewood, the neighborhood that's north of it. That some things are starting to change and stuff like that, but it's not getting as much attention. Is that a good analogy? Is that a terrible analogy? Is a gentrification analogy? Like, I, was I implying that gentrification is good because I don't think that that's the case? It's a complicated situation. Anyway, I tried. I tried. But, yeah, glial cells worth knowing about. Uh, affecting mood, affecting a lot of different things. Glial cells protecting neurons uh, in a lot of ways, covering neurons. Fascinating stuff. I, uh, I never knew about that. You know what I mean? Let's bring me back up onto camera. Cool. Yeah, man. Uh, there's so much out there that has to do with our mental health. The brain is so freaking complicated. Um, I guess that begs the question, are there things we can actively do to protect our mental health? Of course there are. We're always talking about that on this show. We're always talking about making your mental wellness central to your life. We're talking about diet. We're talking about exercise. We're talking about mindfulness practice. We're talking about uh, meds, if that is necessary, if that's part of your deal. 
for me, it is. I feel so torn about it because I hate big pharma so much. I don't trust them. I know they don't care if we live or die, uh, yet I consume their product. Uh, so that is troubling to me. But, you know, life is complicated. Life is hard. Uh, so this next article goes right to the heart of this, of of what we should do, of, we, of what we should ask ourselves is good for our mental health or not. Uh, the article is called, Should You Nix the News? A Personal Perspective Withdrawing from Cycles of Perpetual Crisis Makes Sense. Yeah, as somebody who has been a news junkie, as somebody who has delved deep down political rabbit holes and commented on it. Oh, goodness gracious. Is it healthy to separate from the news? Holy fuck. Yes, it is. Yes, it certainly is. Let's read this. Let's read about that from a psychological perspective. You know, let's do that. Let's share the screen for those people watching some video clips. Um, and then we'll get into it for those listening to the podcast. I hope that me having to do that, it doesn't mess up the flow too much, but here we go. Should you nix the news next article key points? And I know this like reflexively sounds like, yes, of course you should, but there is a balance that has to be struck because it's important to know what's going on in the world. It's important to speak out in order to try to enact change as we get plowed over by the corporate state, man. But at the same time, oh my goodness, is it nice to check out and get to miss and not pay attention to a manufactured crisis that comes and goes that you can possibly not even know occurred because these things, oftentimes, they're blown up, they're manufactured, and it doesn't affect your life. If you're lucky enough, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Again, there's a gray area here. Here we go. Key points. Paying close attention to the news can exact an emotional cost. No shit. Especially in an era where crises largely go unresolved. Fair enough. The algorithm-driven contentiousness of social media worsens the daily strain of news cycles. Yes, it does. The algorithm-driven contentiousness of social media, meaning these algorithms want to provoke conflict. They want to provoke conflict because it makes people stay on their platforms longer. It is fucking sadistic, man. And it worsens the daily strain of news cycles. Third key point, disconnecting from the news and asking ourselves what can be done locally may be defensible responses to an unhealthy society. Sounds reasonable. Think globally, act locally, acting locally in your community, connecting, helping. Seems like a reasonable thing to do. In my opinion, me spreading the word and trying to use comedy to destigmatize mental health um, is something more proactive that I can do through this podcast than always getting, uh, you know, completely absorbed in political discourse and whatnot. You know? Anyway, let's read this guy's insights into this. This is written by Daniel R. George, who's a Ph.D. and also in MSC, which is something. All right. 
We live in an era defined by an inauspicious combination of perpetual crises and unceasing media coverage. Just in the first half of 2022, the around-the-clock media blitz has cycled from COVID's devastation to the war in Ukraine and possibility of World War III to the cultural storm unleashed by the leaked Supreme Court draft decision overturning Roe v. Wade. More recently, mass shootings, inflation, rising gas prices, and of all things, the specter of monkeypox, a scourge we never knew we'd have to fear, have dominated the churn. Yep, he summed it up pretty well. So if you get consumed with all of that in the first half of your 2022, how do you think your mental health is doing? Oh, my goodness gracious. One common thread shared by all these issues is that they never get resolved. They arrive urgently as breaking news, activate our collective limbic systems and keep us on edge for weeks on end as the grim narrative unfolds like a reality TV soap opera. In some ways, it's better for media corporations and advertisers that there may never be resolution to these issues. Endless states of emergency drive ratings and revenue, and thus outlets are incentivized to inflate threats and their potential consequences. Yes, the media is a clear and present danger to the American public. Hear that. The media actively is trying to hurt us. They fucking hate us. They only care about ratings and revenue and control at the behest of their corporate overlords, man. All right, we got a little political there anyway. I mean, come on, I'm trying my best, guys. Moreover, the algorithms of the tech platforms on which we increasingly consume media are designed to generate views, clicks, shares, and thus revenue from rage, fear, and indignation. Thus, as news organizations ramp up the scale and emotional intensity of open-ended crises, we remain glued to our devices, adrift on successive waves of ever-changing information, opinion, and quote-unquote expert uh, prognostication. Dude, this article is resonating with me, man. I don't know about you guys, but we got to limit our news intake. Fuck them. Especially if you're watching the cable news channels, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News. Oh, God, they're all poison. They're different flavors of poison. The added emotional strain of social networks. Yeah. In our divisive era, the high-profile tragedies of the 2020s invariably get refracted online through ideological filters. This renders impossible not only agreed-upon resolution to issues, but also any semblance of a shared reality. Different media networks, publications, and platforms produce competing, quote-unquote, reality tunnels for users, and we must live with this unsettling incommensurability of worldviews. Yes, they create purposefully antagonistic points of view about the same topics, man. They hate us. Um, Yeah. And because social media and its algorithms play such a central role in the lives of millions of Americans, there is added pressure to negotiate these fragmented interpretations of the news within one's networks. Are mass shootings an impetus for common sense gun control legislation and the fault of the NRA's powerful lobbying arm? Or do they underscore the need for better mental health provision in the U.S. and the right of the quote unquote good guy citizens to maintain equal and opposite firepower? 
Odds are the habits of one's daily news consumption and the structure of one's social networks will dictate where they fall on the ideological spectrum of such issues. Quote, unquote, smart data processing algorithms learn from our behaviors and prioritize information that feels increasingly important, relevant, and irrefutably true. Yep. The algorithm overlords are mistreating us, everybody. When these competing interpretations of tragedies are unleashed into social media spaces, it can become enormously acrimonious. Failing to express, signal, or boost the proper opinions can put one at risk for social judgment and and ostracization. Resentments can build as friends, family, and coworkers endorse different values and convictions consistent with their reality tunnels, or their echo chambers would be another way to describe that. And in despite of this daily dance of never-ending, revenue-generating hostility, nothing ever seems to change or ever approach catharsis. We're just left with simmering anger and sadness about things none of us can control. Exactly. These things are outside of our control, man. And look, I'm the first to admit that I've gotten obsessed with stuff. I have scurried down political rabbit holes. I got obsessed with the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution and transhumanism and the transnational capital class and global governance and the rebranding of uh, shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism, all of that stuff, which is happening and is important to know about. But at the same time, holy shit, we have to live our lives day to day, man. In this period of cultural stagnation, lifespans are falling. Loneliness and deaths of despair are rising. Income and wealth inequality are at record levels. And the bureaucratic state, whether under Republican or Democratic rule, has proven fundamentally incapable of dealing with any of our era-defining crises. I like that this guy is nonpartisan, man. I like that this guy is separated from the two-party duopoly fucking monster system. Meanwhile, we've never been more terrified, divided, or disembodied. It is almost as if we're living at a moment when time stands still, but things get incrementally worse every day for normal people. And each morning... The news reliably delivers dispatches from the front of the latest worsening crisis. Social media erupts in paroxysms of of agitation. Friend enemy distinctions deepen and the whole vicious cycle repeats without a legitimate democratic political process. There is only detached spectacle in a perpetual present. Wow. Perpetual president. What do we do in the face of this? As someone who has been politically engaged his whole life and more recently quite invested in the Bernie Sanders campaigns of 2016 and 2020. Oh, he stuck with Bernie for 2020, huh? It is difficult to pull away from the daily churn of crises. It can feel irresponsible and inhumane and abdication of civic responsibility. But given the current cultural constellation, disconnecting may be a defensible response to an unhealthy society. The mental health burden of staying plugged into deeply uh, deleterious media consumption is wearing on many people. Who enjoys reading the news in the morning? Who feels it is deepening their humanity, enriching their sense of the world and the cosmos, helping them self-actualize in some meaningful direction, or deepening bonds with family, friends, or neighbors? Odds are that may feel it is doing just the opposite. Odds are that many feel it is doing just the opposite. Yeah, very right. 
So turning off the news, i.e. the perpetual emergency machine and tuning into the deeper calling of one's being and sense of, quote unquote, the good may be one possible step to regaining regaining better balance. There may also be wisdom in refocusing on one's local community. There you go. Another. There we go. At the Penn State College of Medicine, we recently had our first year medical students attend a reading in which a wizened doctor shared the advice that despite the massive structural failures in the U.S. for-profit healthcare system, young practitioners should, quote unquote, light their corner. In other words, do what you can to bring life affirming initiative to your daily work. Fix what you can and hold at an emotional remove what you can't. So, too, can we ask ourselves, what can be done locally to alleviate human suffering, to reduce alienation and atomization, to create beauty, virtue and love and to restore neighborliness, unity, compassion and social connection? Well said. Very well said. We will eventually come out of this tumultuous era, but at present, it is a demoralizing morass as we slog through the darkness weathering crisis after crisis in an era in which there seem to be no adults in charge, only a rapaciously self-interested elite, and of course the invisible hand of our data processing algorithm overlords, how do you reconnect with your core purpose and pursuit of the good? How do you rebuild relationships that may have become frayed by the fractious daily churn of crises and contention? How do you create meaning for yourself and others? What might it practically mean to light your corner? Yeah, man. Paying attention to the day-to-day, getting into the grind is uh, its pretty poisonous stuff, man. Got to be careful if you do it. Uh, fair play to the people that do, man. It's important to be civically engaged, to know what's going on, to, to spread the word, to hopefully keep certain bad things from happening by amplifying what's going on before it before it gets before different things get enacted, so to speak, like there's a messed up World Health Organization treaty that's in the works that if all these countries sign on to it, basically, if the World Health Organization determines that there's another pandemic and it's a very wide ranging um, sort of definition for what they can say is a pandemic, then they get to dictate top down what every nation state has to do in response to the pandemic. So they're basically it's a seeding of national sovereignty over the world World Health Organization. And if you think the World Health Organization is not a politicized uh, entity, then you'd be very wrong. Uh, It's run by a guy with the last name Tedros, who is a complete lackey of Bill Gates, who's the second largest funder of the WHO after the United States. Um, And nation state funding goes to the administrative tasks of the World Health Organization, private funding. very much dictates the policies of the World Health Organization. So this would be a major coup for global governance, and I am against it. So there you go. But I'm not focusing on it every day and getting freaked out about it, you know. But I just spread the word right there, which makes me feel good. I think this was an awesome article. Very, very well done. Um, Let's pull me back to the solo layout, see how we're doing. Cool. We're in 35 minutes. I think we got time for more for sure. Um, yeah, I just want to say again, it would mean a lot to me if you have the cash to support me on Patreon. Um, it's patreon.com slash JFOD. Uh, I'm trying to make this work here as a comedian, you guys. Uh, it's um, yeah. So if you could do that, that would be awesome. 
great way to get connected to is j5news.com. Uh, please do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, going to DC to do some shows. This will actually, this will, this will air after I've gone to DC. So I'll let you guys know how those DC shows went. I'm very excited to be doing shows with the great Dina Hashem. Uh, she's an awesome comedian and we'll be doing some shows in DC this weekend. So I'm looking forward to that. Just thought I'd mention it. I used to live in D.C. I lived in D.C. from 2014 to 2019 when I was on Redacted Tonight as a correspondent. Redacted Tonight with Lee Camp. That was a great experience for me. Um, yeah, man. Uh, these two pieces have been interesting. I hope you're finding this worthwhile and good. I guess I'll just take a sip of water and then we'll go into the next article. Um, because this next one. It's pretty interesting, and it's something I don't know too much about. Um, it's called Eight Signs of Histrionic Personality Disorder. Ooh, histrionic personality disorder, you guys, a juicy. Um, they crave the attention of others and do whatever it takes to attain it. Interesting. Sounds like a lot of comedians maybe have histrionic personality disorder light. Because there is definitely a craving of attention for sure with uh, all eyes on me doing stand up, man. Um, but I don't think that I have histrionic personality disorder. I don't. Because no doctors ever told me that I did. Even though I do stand up, I don't think I have it. Let's see. Here we go. Key points. Let's learn about it. You guys want to learn about histrionic personality disorder? That'll be cool. Histrionic personality disorder affects approximately Degas White, PhD. Cool. Or Degs White. Histrionic personality disorder affects approximately 2% of the population. HPD shares some characteristics of narcissistic personality disorder, but there are distinct differences. Connections with individuals with HPD can be extremely disappointing due to the uneven emotional investment in the relationship. Now, I always thought histrionic meant like when somebody's acting histrionic, they're uh, acting kind of like over the top or they're they're very intense or extreme in their in their uh, in their expression of themselves, like history, like histrionic. That's what I thought that word meant. Let's see. Um Histrionic personality disorder affects approximately 2% of the population. While it is diagnosed across genders, females are diagnosed with this disorder more often. Some of the quote-unquote tells that indicate a person may have HPD include excessive flamboyance in behavior, okay, appearance, attire, and responses to those around them. Those with HPD thrive on the attention of others and go out of their way to attain it. They may embrace the role of quote-unquote damsel slash victim in distress even in the most benign conditions okay because that gets them attention ironically while their emotions may be unusually shallow they tend to be quote-unquote emotional exhibitionists acting out feelings that they can't truly experience their behavior reflects powerfully charged emotional states from one end of the spectrum to the other 
They may sob uncontrollably or exhibit disproportionately strong levels of glee or high spirits. There is no in-between, and they will play to an audience with unbounded enthusiasm. Individuals with HPD can reach heights of elation, but then rapidly sink to depths of despair because they are acting out emotions rather than feeling them. They can shift from one intense display to another. When they respond to events, it is likely to be from an internal playbook. Interesting. Okay. Because their energy is devoted to gaining the attention and often the sympathy of others, they learn how to project an image of themselves that grabs the spotlight they crave. Depending on their audience, they may rely on well-developed powers of seduction and sexual attraction to get noticed and capture the gaze and interest of those around them. Yeah. All right. This is interesting. I feel like there's some overlaps or kind of adjacent sort of stuff to when somebody's in a manic episode because there definitely seems to be a craving of attention i suppose there is the use of the powers of seduction and sexual attraction to hook up um i don't know i don't know let's see career disruption because individuals with HPD tend to bore easily, they may quickly tire of routines, jobs, friends, and romantic partners. Their careers may reflect multiple zigzags and abrupt stops and starts as they tend to move from job to job with little regret over lost opportunities. Being fired, in fact, may be more fodder, <clears throat> more fodder for their attention-seeking behaviors. Ditching a job, leaving coworkers, or just moving on doesn't cause them the same concern as it might for others due to their inability to authentically experience their lives. Okay, this is different. This is different from bipolar disorder. There's a deep, deep amount of feeling um, of one's life to an unhealthy degree. Um, wow, this is fascinating. Relationships risks. Maintaining authentic relationships in challenging is challenging for people living with HPD as they have spent a lifetime play acting their feelings. This diminishes their ability to form intimate relationships. They are typically incapable of being honest with others since they cannot be honest with themselves. Sadly, their lack of care for deep connections can leave friends and partners feeling frozen out and empty. That is sad. The histrionic paradox is that these individuals often assume their relationships with others are much deeper and more intimate than they truly are. Because they have a limited understanding of self-intimacy or authenticity, they assume that even casual friends are quote-unquote besties or that all romantic partners or hookups are quote-unquote soulmates. Yet these relationships often lack substance. Sending out sexually charged signals and dressing in sexually provocative ways may be part of the pattern for individuals with HPD. Not unexpectedly, such overt efforts to attract the sexual gaze of others can be experienced as a threat to friends whose partners may be the target of these efforts. This perceived threat can lead these friends to break up with the person displaying histrionic behaviors as an act of both self-preservation and relationship protection. Histrionic individuals tend to burn bridges in relationships, but they don't necessarily mourn these losses the same way others might. Former friends, ex-partners, and family members may experience symptoms of depression or suffer from grief and isolation as they fall out of focus for the person with HPD. Histrionic individuals are able to let go of past failures and keep their eyes trained on their next potential conquest. Okay, 
uh, it's a terrible situation to not be able to really connect with somebody, but desperately want to. That sounds awful. That sounds really, really rough and difficult to deal with, man. Wow. I guess there's silver lining in the respect that they don't have to feel the pain and grief of losing somebody. I don't know, man. This is this is challenging. Kind of narcissistic, kind of not. While histrionic people may crave the same level of attention that narcissists do, the type of attention that satisfies them is markedly different from what narcissists seek. Narcissists have inflated self-images, which are maintained through shows of admiration and praise from others. Individuals with HPD often have low self-esteem and their hunger for attention is satisfied whether they receive positive or negative attention. Okay. They may willingly make fools of themselves if it will get them the attention they crave. A narcissist, however, will do everything possible to avoid losing face as their self-image is everything to them. Eight symptoms of histrionic personality disorder. Here we go. Individuals with these characteristics consistently engage in behaviors designed to attract the attention of others, whether they are viewed as a hero who deserves exaltation or a victim who needs rescue. To that end, they exhibit elevated levels of emotional dysregulation and use emotional displays to attract the audience and attention they crave. According to the DSM-5, that's the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental, uh, Mental Illnesses, DSM-5, histrionic personality disorder is typically first exhibited in early adulthood and may be diagnosed when five of these eight symptoms are exhibited uncomfortable when they are not the center of attention, engages in inappropriate sexual, seductive, or provocative behavior to gain attention, displays rapid shifting and superficial expression of emotions, consistently uses their physical appearance to draw attention to self, uses an excessively vague style of speech that lacks detail, engages in theatrical performative behaviors and exaggerated expressions of emotion, is suggestible and easily influenced by others around them, considers relationships to be more intimate than they actually are. All right. So that's histrionic personality disorder. Interesting. Um, I'm going to say that I'm not that. Let's go through and I'll, I'll do my self-check. Uncomfortable when they're not the center of attention. I would say that I am not uncomfortable when I'm not the center of attention. I like being the center of attention at times in an appropriate manner, uh, mostly performing on stage doing stand-up, which is a socially acceptable way to be the center of attention in a weird sort of subculture. Engages in inappropriate, sexually seductive, or pro provocative behavior to gain attention? Nah. Displays rapidly shifting and superficial expression of emotions. Nah. Consistently use their physical appearance to draw attention to self. Well, couldn't not do it if I tried, y'all. JK, JK. Um, no. Uses an excessively vague style of speech that lacks detail. Nope. Engages in theatrical performative behaviors and exaggerates expressions of emotion. No. But maybe I'm like that when I'm manic. Is suggestible and easily influenced by others around them? No. Considers relationships to be more intimate than they actually are? No. So um, that is histrionic personality disorder. Um, 
Yeah, that sounds like a very difficult thing to deal with. I hope people that are dealing with it with it are able to get some relief. This article, unfortunately, does not uh, mention treatment for it. Um, I know that things like narcissistic personality disorder are very difficult to treat. Things like borderline personality disorder are very difficult to treat. There are treat there is treatment for borderline personality disorder. Often that's connected to narcissistic personality disorder. Um, <clears throat> maybe some of those same treatments can be used for histrionic personality disorder. Um, yeah. There's a great episode, two-part episode of Take Your Pill Psychopath, where I interviewed Jen Tisdale about her borderline personality disorder. Um, you should look it up. I'm pretty sure it's episodes 10 and 11. She really, really delves into what it's like to have that disorder in a really open and honest and funny way. And she talks about treatment and stuff too. Uh, definitely worth checking out. You know, for sure. Um, cool. You know what? Let's do one more article. How about that? Uh, please, guys, give me feedback. Let me know. Email me uh, at takeyourpillspod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from people. Um, so I'll be honest. You know, I was doing the podcast about mental health. Then I got totally during the pandemic. I got totally immersed in the politics of the pandemic. And everything like that. And I started doing these political podcasts. So I kind of got away from the original mission of this podcast. But now I'm back to it. So I'd love to hear from people. I'd love for someone to drop me a line just to say what's working, what's not working, just to say hello. Um, just connect with the audience at takeyourpillspod at gmail.com. Um, would be really cool. So I'm trying to build this thing. Uh, let's do one more article. Why not? Let's do one more. Cool. This should be interesting. Seven things to know about, sorry, seven things to know and understand about gaslighting. Oh, that's interesting. Someone wrote, consider keeping a journal and seeking professional help is what they say. That's This is Kristen uh, Mikoff. Let's get into gaslighting, y'all. People, you... Key points. People you know and love may look the other way and act as though gaslighting didn't or isn't happening. Experiencing gaslighting can create trauma. Sharing your secrets with a mental health professional is often the way to heal your pain. Okay. Here we go. Gaslighting can happen to the best of us. When it happens to me, I didn't even, when it happened to me, <clears throat> I didn't even recognize it. Other experts pulled me aside and explained what I couldn't see. Gaslighting, as defined by the American Psychological Association. Oh, gaslighting is in the APA, man, is an action word. In other words, a verb to manip quote, manipulate another person into doubting his or her perceptions, experiences or understanding of events. One of the painful parts of the gaslighting experience is knowing that not everyone will believe your story. You may feel like you are on trial whenever you share your story. It may feel like you need to present your case with supporting evidence, details, and eyewitness accounts. Someone told me, unless I had a recording of the incident, it would be, quote-unquote, like it didn't happen. This process can be emotionally and physically exhausting and even traumatic. Learning how to cope effectively will help you manage your emotional pain. Any part of coping is understanding some aspects of being gaslit. Uh, understand people may disengage from you. 
People you know and love may look the other way and act as though it didn't or isn't happening through a process called, quote unquote, moral disengagement, a phrase coined by pioneer psychologist Albert uh, Bandura. <clears throat> he wrote a book by the same name. Bandura said a person convinces themselves that the rules of a particular ethical situation do not apply and can even rationalize it or blame someone else for it. In other words, even if people witness and believe you, they may distance themselves from you and not want to get involved. Yep, sad but true. Here are some things to do. Write in a journal. When you're experiencing gaslighting, it can be confusing. Writing, our own, writing out your thoughts can give you mental clarity. The act of writing the words around your invisible pain makes your suffering visible. Journal writing can help you develop words around your distress and vulnerability. Keep the journal because you may need it in the future as it can serve as a record of your circumstances. Share your secret, secret with a trusted mental health professional. Keeping secrets can be painful. It can cause more hurt emotionally and physically when you're actively concealing your feelings and experiences. In general, once you experience gaslighting, you start keeping secrets. At some point, you may have decided not to disclose how you were feeling and being treated. These burdens are wound up tightly around the belief that you can lack control over your future. Revealing them to a trusted professional like a therapist can help you decrease the anxiety. Maintaining your image is hard and creates more stress. We're hardwired to belong and rejection is painful. It is normal to fear rejection. While you may be concealing your suffering, keeping up a favorable image of yourself to present to others can be just as stressful. Now you're trying to not only hide your anger and hurt, but you are also trying to appear strong when in reality you are emotionally raw and vulnerable. This can also be the reason for your emotion, can be the reason your emotional pain can increase. Next, remember you're not to blame. Anger at the self is common, but remember you're not to blame. Due to the nature of gaslighting, it typically involves a powerful situation in which you depend on the other person for some support, i.e. financial, emotional, family, and fear keeps the fire lit. This fear can turn inward and shape into anger, anxiety, and depression. It's unusual to believe that you could have stopped it, but remember, the very power structure makes it difficult to exit the relationship. Yeah. Next, get a physical exam. Painful traumatic events like gaslighting can cause physical problems. Your doctor may be able to help, may be able to, may be able to offer help for your symptoms like headaches, sleepless nights, or upset stomach. It is important to tell your doctor everything, not disclosing to them prevents them from being best able to help you. And the last one. Seek out a mental health professional. Gaslighting experiences are often best shared with a mental health professional who won't judge you, but can guide you through the traumatic experience of being gaslit. A blind spot can form when you are in this type of situation, and a mental health professional can see the larger picture and provide clarity and support. Sharing your secrets with a mental health professional is often the way to heal your pain. Finding this trusted expert can help you rebuild your life after loss because you've been gaslit. You're likely lost trust in others and yourself. You've likely you've like you've likely lost trust in others and yourself. It is normal. It is also normal to suffer other losses, such as friends, colleagues, and even family members who didn't believe you or failed to offer help and support. Remember, you are not your experience with gaslighting, and it is possible to shape your narrative into one of healing. Yep. All right. Good rundown of what gaslighting is. Good rundown of things that you can do. 
what a fucked up situation gaslighting is, man. People being so manipulative that they are convincing somebody to no longer believe their accurate understanding of a situation. Oh, God, man. It's messed up. It's a messed up type of manipulation. It happens all the time. And I think it's important to be aware of it. And uh, there's some things to know and understand about gaslighting. Seven things to know and understand about gaslighting. Yeah. Worthwhile. Crazy, man. So, yeah, this is interesting. This is a new thing. Reading these different pieces, guys, we covered today how glial cells influence your mood. We covered should you nix the news. We covered eight signs of histrionic personality disorder. And we covered seven things to know about and understand about gaslighting, man. So that's cool. Grateful for these authors for writing these pieces. Grateful to give some commentary around it. Um, I'm trying to figure out how, how the rhythm of this podcast is going to go. How often I can do interview shows. How often I can do these reading ones. And um, yeah, Take Your Pill Psychopath is back in a big way, y'all. And uh, I appreciate your guys' support. Please, please spread the word. Please share this if you think it's worthwhile. Um, you can follow me on the social medias. You can follow me on uh, Instagram at the Real JFod on Twitter at the Real JFod. You can follow my YouTube. It's uh, just type in John F O'Donnell. Um, yeah, again, you know, I've been letting people know about the Patreon now, so. If you can afford to, as I was saying earlier, support me there. Um, this is uh, this is what's going on, man. Uh, this has been another episode of Take Your Pills, Psychopath, the comedy podcast that exploits mental illness for personal profit. What? Trademark. I'm John F. O'Donnell. Enjoy the rest of your day, evening, wherever you are. Love you guys. Bye-bye.